Hey there, listener. It's me, Kat, your host, your soon-to-be king. We'll get to that in a moment. This is a solo episode. I don't have my beloved team with me right now. I just thought I'd come on to talk to you about Solo But Not Alone 3. It's live from January to March 2023. We're going to be raising funds for Jasper's Game Day, a suicide prevention organization specializing in the tabletop sphere with a bundle of single-player TTRPGs, over 100 of them, for just a $10 donation. This is a charity that means a lot to me. As you might have guessed by the three, I've done this three years running. It's the most important thing I do. And I would love to share my love of single-player RPGs with you today, as well as share one with you that I wrote for Solo But Not Alone 3. If what you're about to hear sounds interesting, please pick up the bundle. You can find it on itch. I've got a link in the show notes. Just come check it out. See what single-player role-playing has to offer because I guarantee you there are masterpieces aplenty in this pile. Descent in Silver and Glass does contain some themes of violence and it does sometimes contain themes of violence toward an other self. So it can be interpreted as kind of self-directed violence If that makes you uncomfortable, this might not be a great episode for you. I will talk to you another time. I promise. But if you're all on board, then play with me together. Descent in Silver and Glass is part of Solo But Not Alone 1. So is my sequel to Apex Predator, Apex Predator White Sky Reach. So if you're a Monster Hunter fan or a fan of Carta RPGs, you might like it. I hope you do. At any rate, so many Carta games in there, by the way. There's so many Carta games and I'm over the moon. Genuinely, at everyone who has written a game using the system I wrote and then donated it to this bundle to help people stay alive. I'm so happy. Silver, Descent in Silver and Glass is about the heir apparent. However old you are, you are not prepared. You are the heir apparent, and someday all too soon, this entire country will be your responsibility to rule. Your faltering words and fragile heart will send shockwaves over the land again and again. And of all the things you are unprepared for, the worst is this. You are weak. There is a darkness in you that you do not know, cannot control and can barely hide. If you take that throne as you are now, people will suffer. Lives will end. You must be made ready. This game is played with a deck of tarot cards. Believe it or not, this is my first tarot RPG, despite being a tarot teacher of some experience. I know. I wrote it using the Journey system, written by Ziva McPherson, a friend friend of the show, as a matter of fact. You may remember Ziva from the episode about the Rainbow Roll Fest. Or if you ever played Beneath the Wishing Tree, 
a tarot-based RPG about a, getting a wish from a unicorn, listen, Ziva. And Ziva gave me a sneak peek at the SRD, which I made a much darker game from. Shuffling my cards. Oh, I need to actually fish some cards out. So this game is played by answering the questions, drawing tarot cards, and then following the instructions based on the tarot cards you've drawn. At the end of the game, we're going to be tallying a score to see if we passed our trial or not. In other words, to see if we have successfully cleansed our inner darkness enough to be a trustworthy ruler. There's also some, let's see, yeah, themes of violence, blood, tyranny, and death, as well as some non-explicit sexual content. Oops. <laughs> so while I'm pulling out the major arcana, let's reflect a little bit on the world of the story. What kind of country are we in? I think we're in... Hmm. I don't really subscribe to the notion popular among fascists that there's, like, empires become soft and decline. But something with the vibe of the later days of the Roman Empire does kind of appeal to me. An ancient culture that takes itself quite seriously, perhaps, that is no longer as prosperous as it once was due to perhaps having militarily overextended itself in an effort to control others. And we are inheriting this Maybe I'm imagining just after the loss of a war. At some point during this war, the ruler passed away, leaving us, the heir apparent, with only the vaguest of ideas what to do. Our country is... I'm feeling archipelago. I'm feeling... An island nation with a lot of dramatic cliffs and mountains. Dramatic and challenging scenery that in our ancient mythic age, we talked about forging us into strong people. I'm not necessarily sure that's what happened, but that's how we mythologize ourselves, at least. Let's see. I think our character, the question, the next question, rather, let me start with that. The next question the manual is, is your character the rightful ruler of this place? They are the heir apparent, yes, but that isn't always the same thing. I'm not sure we are. Or rather, we are, but our predecessor was not. So there are questions about their legitimacy, and thus, since they named us the heir ours. There's certainly a notion that they should not have ruled and thus that we should not rule, but at this point, it's a little bit out of our hands. At least until the heir of the person people believe to be the rightful ruler steps forward, and I hope that doesn't happen. Because the next question is, what kind of person is your character? And I think that our character is uncertain. 
maybe conflict averse and a little bit, I don't want to say in over their head, but very convinced perhaps that they are in over their head. The next step is to choose the ideal monarch, the vision in our character's mind of what a perfect ruler looks like. We choose one of the four suits, and then we choose how our character sees themselves. I would like to choose swords. I've written in the manual that the suit of swords represents the qualities of being just, intelligent, and determined. I think maybe we are a bookish character who is intelligent and preoccupied with justice and maybe a little bit in their head and a little bit reluctant to commit to concrete action. Um, I keep using they pronouns, so maybe our character is an ace. Maybe our character sees themselves as a monarch without a gender. Quite all right. So the Ace of Swords is our ideal monarch. We don't pull it out of the deck. We just kind of keep it in our mind. Our character wants to be the Ace of Swords. Next thing we're going to do is we're going to secretly draw a major arcana. We're not going to look at it. It represents the darkness. That is our deep inner flaw, the kind of ruler we're fated to become if we fail this ritual. Are you ready? Part one, the descent. You are led by a dozen attendants to the place where the ritual will take place. They all wear the same robes and go veiled as if to shield their faces from what they may encounter at the ritual grounds or from you. Among the attendants are people who know you, they will be able to recognize you at any distance, and they go armed. Draw a card. You've drawn the Knight of Cups. The card is a cup. You sit on a gilded platform attached to a series of cables and pulleys. A filigree door is closed behind you and you can see the light filtering through elaborate networks of gilded vines, leaves, and flowers. That light vanishes as your attendants slowly lower the platform into the sacred well below you. The squeal of the pulleys fades into the distance, and the creak of the cables begins to echo around the stone walls outside your golden enclosure. Darkness closes in. You can smell the damp and feel a growing cold. Deep in your heart, the feelings of dread and anxiety that have been brewing for days begin to swell and grab hold of you. You start to tremble, and your breaths come gasping and desperate, more and more desperate as the temperature drops. Do you call out for help, or do you weather the fear and wait? we call out. It says if you call out, draw a card, then proceed to part two. So my second card is the three of cups. The darkness fades as a faint blue light begins to blossom within your enclosure, a 
a few inches from your chest, your body stops shivering and it becomes easier to breathe. The voices above you are arguing, but the echoes of the sacred well make it impossible to hear what they're saying. Your descent stops for a second before resuming, and soon you find yourself in a dark cavern. Part 2. Revelation. You are alone in the darkness. The world you knew is far, far above you and far away, and this place is cold. It is not, however, silent. Everything echoes in this place again and again off every surface, so loud that even the rustling of your clothes blurs into a chaotic sound on the air. After this point, you do not know what the ritual entails. All your ancestors have said something different. But you advance. Whatever is waiting for you, it is deeper in the cave. The walk is long. The caverns are featureless, but there is only one path to take. You're not lost, but the walk is long. Fatigue starts to set in, both in your legs and in your heart. The interminable echoing of your own footsteps hits you like the drops of water from a damp ceiling again and again and again, and it's exhausting. Just when you think you can spare a moment to rest, the cave opens up into a chamber ahead of you. You can't rest inside of it, so you gather your strength and keep walking. Inside the chamber, everything is silent. There is no more echo. You can hardly hear your own breaths. The room is large and round and very, very dark. Light filters in from somewhere behind you, casting a long, stretched-out shadow over the only feature in the place, a plinth featuring a tall mirror. You take a deep breath and approach. Reveal the darkness, then read its description. I've drawn the star. That's a peculiar darkness to have drawn. Tarot enthusiasts will know the star to be one of the most unambiguously positive cards in the deck. I'm going to scroll to number 17. Martyr. Your long, dark reflection forms the illusion of bars over the mirror transforming it into an elaborate cage. A silver light kindles from behind the bars, dimmed by captivity and the surrounding gloom. A faintly glowing hand reaches around your shadow, as if groping for some kind of escape, but finds none. The light continues to dim. You watch the light burn down to nothing behind the bars. On the other side of the light, you see the throne. The throne will take everything you are from you. Do you speak to the apparition? What does it say in response if you do? Do we speak to the apparition? 
I think we call out. I think we say, don't go. Watching the light fade makes us feel as if hope is dying in this dark, dark place. And I don't think the apparition says anything but a strangled help me. Whatever the response, everything goes black. And when you come to, you are standing in the same place, in front of the mirror, in the ceremony chamber. Part three, struggle. Behind the mirror, there is a door. Was it always there? You struggle to remember. But now, behind the mirror, there is an opening into darkness. You hear the sound of scraping in the doorway, of something moving over the tile floor. It is too dark to see any movement on your back. You wear the holy sword consecrated for this ceremony. The time has come to take it in hand and prepare for whatever is coming. Draw a card. Queen of Cups. If the card is a cup. Scrolly, scrolly. You step back as someone who looks exactly like you steps into the chamber clad in the same white robes and holding the same ornate sword. You see determination in their eyes, yes, but you also see tears. Something in this moment is overwhelming them, and the sight of those tears, when you know how many tears you and this other self have shed, causes your fighting spirit to crumble and dissolve. You're me, you say. Do you sheathe the holy sword? I think we do. The instructions say if you do draw a card, the seven of pentacles. They respond with curiosity. They too sheathe their sword and then draw closer, examining you with alert eyes. I had assumed it would be a metaphor. The battle with the darkness. Are, are you really me? They ask a series of questions to test you. What do they ask? Questions about your life? Your loved ones? Your best friends who wait back with the other attendants to see if you will be the one to return? Whatever they ask, you answer them till they are satisfied. I think because our character is a studious and bookish sort, I think the other self genuinely starts asking history questions. Questions about our family tree. Questions about our country. Questions about all of the things that we feel like we should know academically to be an effective ruler. Last year's taxes. Our primary exports our current tariffs and duties as relates to our neighbors, the state of our shipping industry, for that matter. They're as knowledgeable as we are. Let's see. 
Here we go. Part four, resolve. You stand in the ceremony chamber, uncertain. A cold creeps into your body, making you shiver as some degree of understanding settles over you like a heavy fog. How many people are in the chamber? Two of us. If there are two of you, draw two cards, then proceed to return to the light. Nine of Pentacles and Two of Wands. Let's see. If the cards are completely different, the two of you take two doors out of the ceremony room and do not speak. The other you vanishes into darkness. You can't help wondering if you have passed or failed their test. But either way, they're gone now. Which of you makes it to the exit first? Hmm. I'm not sure we're going to the same exit. I'm not sure it's possible to tell. Maybe their exit is different from mine. Return to the light. First look up your darkness. Tally up your points. If at any point in your journey you drew your ideal monarch, add three points to your total. We did not draw the Ace of Swords. We passed the test if we have more points than the difficulty of our darkness. So let's scroll to the star and see what that is. You have to understand that the person you are right now will no longer exist once you are the monarch. What time will you have to be yourself? What people will see who you really are? Can you make the sacrifice of your identity? Difficulty is five points. We get three points if we sang. That didn't come up. We get one point for every cup drawn. We drew three cups. And I get four additional points if I drew the nine of cups, which I did not. I only have three points. I did not pass this. The star is a difficult one. I have failed. I think this has... Honestly, I think our character doesn't want the throne anymore. I think our character has suddenly realized that there's no amount of studying that will make a ruler of them. They don't want to be. You return to the place your attendants are waiting for you. One by one, they peer through their veils at you as you walk up the line. The final part of the ritual. Every one of the attendants needs to confirm that you're still you. You tremble as you walk. You know you aren't. And this has been Descent in Silver and Glass. It's not a long game. 
Special thanks, of course, to Ziva, who not only gave me a sneak peek of the Journey SRD so I could write this game, but also listened to my interminable whining when I was having difficulty. Genuinely, I was the worst. But Ziva has the patience of a saint. If you're interested in Descent in Silver and Glass or in any of the other almost 150 single-player games in Solo But Not Alone, please check it out. Wonderful, wonderful people from around the world have contributed their hard work so that we can help Jaspers keep people alive. If this is after March 2023, I try to run Solo But Not Alone every year, January to March. So take, take a look. Check it out. If not, you could find Descent in Silver and Glass at peachgardengames.itch.io. And I'm sure there's other exciting, thrilling, delightful, thoughtful, thought-provoking solo games for you to enjoy. Thanks for joining me for Descent in Silver and Glass, listener. I hope you've had a good time. I certainly have. I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye, Zs.